Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from the great state of Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our healthcare director, is with us. Claire, it's great to have you. Thank you. It's uh, good to be here talking with y'all. Yes, yes, it is. And as always, also, Robert Craig, our executive director, is with us. Robert, good to have you. Good to be still here as we uh, enter the full, we, we come almost a full two years into the pandemic with no end in sight. Yes, that is true. We will briefly talk a little bit more about uh, the pandemic later in the show. Obviously, there was news this week around President Biden's speech to the nation and uh, some some changes or alterations uh, in our plan. We'll talk more about that, uh, but we are going to spend the bulk of this show uh, talking about Build Back Better. Um, this is going to be our last show of the year, and uh, it's been a it's been a long year, a very interesting year. And Build Back Better has quite frankly been central to a lot of what we've talked about this year. It contains so many of the aspirations and hopes, uh, uh, quite frankly, for the Biden administration and for things that we and our members care deeply about. And we've talked extensively about that and different aspects of it. But this week, the real big news is obviously uh, Senator Joe Manchin uh, over the weekend in what appeared to be hastily uh, thrown together and with very little warning, certainly very little warning to the White House, uh, publicly announced his lack of support for Build Back Better and essentially seemingly throwing what appeared to be something headed to a, a resolution, and we had even maybe thought this week, is now back to the drawing board. Claire, I know a lot of our listeners are probably, you know, rightfully upset or any anything from disappointed to upset, angry uh, about the news. Um, wanted to give you a uh, first opportunity just to give us uh, your thoughts. Now we're a few days removed. And again, we record Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, Claire, your, your thoughts on the state of Build Back Better after Senator Manchin's uh, decision. Well, I'm certainly calmer than I was earlier in the week. <laughs> I uh, am, as you say, disappointed is is far too weak of a word. Um, I was, I was, I was angry um, at at Senator Manchin and beyond frustrated um, with our uh, political system and and inability to make such important advancements without this one person. Um, so yes, I'm really, really upset. Um, and after uh, after calming down a little bit and um, thinking through the next steps, um, I, I'm not hopeless by any means. Um, I think that's an important takeaway for our listeners. So I want to start with that right at the beginning, right? All hope is not lost. This is uh, this is not a time to feel really defeated. Um, it's certainly, uh, you know, beyond disappointing that instead of having this done before the end of the year, as we'd all anticipated and was originally planned by um, Speaker Pelosi and uh, Senator Schumer, 
Um, this is this is going to be dragged into the new year. Um, but um, you know, Chuck Schumer, who leads the Senate Democrats, has said that he's committed to having a vote on this in the new year. So um, I I feel good that there's enough time for us to still work on getting this passed. Um, and I'm hopeful that we can. Uh, raise enough noise here in Wisconsin to join the rest of the country that will um, put pressure on uh, Senator Manchin, join all the folks already putting pressure on Senator Manchin from West Virginia, those folks on the ground. I mean, oh my gosh, they're doing such important work there um, and, and try to change things. Robert, you've, um, you've been someone who's been very clear about the historic nature of Build Back Better and been talking about it in those sort of um, historic terms, uh, comparing it to major pieces that have been passed in the back. You've also, in the past, you've also been very clear about the margin or the, shall we say, lack of margins with which to get this done. Um, your thoughts, I feel like you've been fairly optimistic that this was going to be successful while also being somewhat, you know, being realistic about the challenge. Um, surprised or your thoughts on, on Manchin? Well, I think it's like plays in a football game. You don't know exactly how it's going to play out. You may have theories on what the outcome is going to be, but there's also unexpected things, sudden changes. And this looks like that sudden change for those of you who don't follow the NFL is when there's a turnover and all of a sudden you go from having the ball to the other team being in your red zone. Anyway, I do think we need to take a step back because I don't want this to be a general Democrat or progressive freak out because we still have a chance to get this done or some big pieces of it done. And uh, for some pieces like climate, where we have a deadline, civilization can't wait. Um, so I think we need to remember, first of all, we always knew this was going to be hard. We always knew that all of corporate America was lined up against it and the huge in gigantic lobby forces that have never been defeated on anything this big before. When we did things in the 30s and 60s, we didn't have this kind of lobbying PR advertising apparatus from corporate America and from a billionaire class. So the second thing to recognize is, unlike almost every other time in the last 40 years, when the going got tough and Democrats or the subset of progressive Democrats hit this kind of resistance and simply capitulated and waved the white flag and sued for peace and took what they could. Everyone came out with spirit. The White House came out after, frankly, uh, Senator Manchin cold cocked them by giving them 30 minutes notice he was going to do this when they were still negotiating and did it on Fox News of all places and wouldn't return their calls in those 30 minutes. He does it. The White House put out a very strong statement approved by the president, really calling into question uh, the senator's integrity. And I don't think I, I can't think in American history of ever seeing a president of the same party send anything out about a, a senator like that of their own party and supposedly an ally. And so and, and obviously Bernie Sanders, uh, the members of the Progressive Caucus and the House of Representatives all came out very strong. Uh, everyone quoted uh, dead, including a lot of mainline Democrats. And so at least we have a fighting spirit and we're not surrendering. And I think on the outside, they're the inside game. We can't lose our nerve either. We need to keep the fighting spirit up and keep mobilized, okay? 
Now, as far as developments, Matt, let me ask you, you can ask the question, but I was going to tell you there have been developments since Sunday I was going to lay out. Well, I was just going to say at least one thing I hear in both of you is you're both, um, well, one, not fatalistic, and both seem uh, quite optimistic, or at least um, that something is going to go forward and that this is far from done. Uh, in spite of Manchin sort of, quote, trying to declare it dead. So that is one thing that I would say it seems to be, you both seem to be well in line, and Robert, uh, you can continue. So, look, there are parts of it that are in trouble. The child tax credit and paid family leave, where we knew that one, are in trouble. Uh, child tax credit has reduced child poverty almost 50% and expires in January. It's a massive takeaway from almost, from 90% of of families in this country. And Senator Manchin, this is about Democrats having fight, fighting spirit. Someone, the White House, members of the Senator House, released this internal information about Manchin saying that he's against the child tax credit because families use it for drugs, which sounds like something out of, uh, you know, some Tea Party congressman. Or And then he also said that he didn't like family medically because people will lie about being sick and go hunting. And so just the disrespect this millionaire has for his own constituents, representing the sixth poorest state is striking. The president, he did on Western Radio blame staff, which gives an opening because he'll still work with Biden and the staff was disrespectful to him. So I guess they didn't bend their knee and touch it on the ground three times and send a limousine to his house yacht. And he had to drive his Maserati into the White House one day. I don't know how he was dissed, but he feels dissed. Um, you have that. But the Biden and he have talked cordially, according to the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki. And then furthermore, there was a Senate meeting Tuesday night and it was laid out. And it sounds like Manchin is still on board for universal pre-K, which is huge for all the climate investments, because he's already taken out the teeth already earlier in the process. They compromised with him. And for the uh, uh, for making corporations and the wealthy pay more of their fair share, not though not as far as they should go. So there's that's a bill worth passing, but losing the child tax credit is going to be very hard to swallow. But if there's no way to pass it, you and we have a climate deadline, and we can get universal pre-K, we can get more tax fairness. We're going to have to do it, but hopefully we can get more than that in the byplay. So it sounds to me like as of Wednesday. It's sort of like the, the crisis has passed and there is discussion going back and forth now between the two sides. So it's not totally back on, but it's looking like it could be. Well, folks, we're going to keep talking more about this, but we have to take our first break. Again, you are listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action Wisconsin. We're very active on social media. I want to encourage you, if you're not already, follow us on, on Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about Build Back Better. Um, it is obviously well known now that Senator Manchin has pulled his support for the overall bill. And Claire, we seem to be in this situation now where uh, again, in the first segment, both you and Robert certainly articulated that this is not a done deal. Uh, this version of Build Back Better may be dead. Uh, but Claire, further thoughts, Robert started talking about some of the things, right, that appear to be dead for Senator Manchin. But just 
your thoughts on, on moving forward. And, and, and certainly, um, you know, from your perspective, you're someone who has talked extensively and knows a lot about what's in here around healthcare, but just your thoughts on, on how we cobbled this together and go forward and, 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 and from your perspective. Well, I think that the biggest thing that needs to happen, and, and I know it's already happening, um, is the people of West Virginia, uh, the people to whom Senator Manchin ought to be responsible um, and the folks who should be holding him accountable um, are, are stepping up and putting a lot of pressure on him. So, for example, the coal miners union came out and uh, had some very strong words for uh, Senator Manchin and talked specifically about some measures that we haven't talked about uh, on this show uh, that are in Build Back Better because they aren't really relevant to the Wisconsin population, but are very relevant for the people of West Virginia. For example, uh, payments by big coal companies companies that would um, go to help um, uh, coal miners who suffered from black lung, right? I mean, so so we're talking about things that are in Build Back Better that will um, help the constituents of this senator, um, but he seems so far to, to not really care or be willing to sacrifice those things in favor of um, you know, the, the corporate interests to whom he's, he's actually beholden instead of the people. So the first thing, like I said, that, you know, needs to happen is already happening, which is the people of West Virginia um, doing what they need to do to um, hold their elected leader accountable. Um, the next thing that we need to do in other states, right, like what we need to do here on the ground in Wisconsin is uh, show the folks in West Virginia that we have their back, um, that we are going to keep pushing the public narrative of all of the good that Build Back Better will do, making sure that people here on the ground in um, communities know about what the bill would do, so that even if it weren't passed, um, they know what um, what was trying to be to be done for them so that we um, don't let the, you know, let, don't let the foot off of the gas um, on, on pushing these reforms, right? And, and so that's, that's why Citizen Action is like still talking about Build Back Better. And that's why we're still doing phone banking and, um, you know, pushing this message out there. Uh, like we, we can't let this, this, it's not even a failure, but this delay make us think we shouldn't push for big, bold things because that is, that's the wrong takeaway. Yeah, you, you raised this really good point around the things that are in it, right? And we've talked about this before. This is one of the problems for, for Build Back Better is the complexity of everything that's in there. And Robert and Claire, you have both talked about how you would not do a, a, a normal legislative process like this. You would take time and allow these things to get some oxygen, get public attention um, that increases pressure. Uh, which is important for democratic accountability. And, and unfortunately, because of the tight margin and the whole peculiarities of the filibuster, we have this all jammed together. So Claire, it's a fa fabulous point um, and something we're going to continue to be really focused on over the next month, which is educating the public about what's in. And, you know, shout out to our organizer uh, and alder in Viroqua, Ben Wilson, who, you know, the day this was announced, uh, the next day had not bad in highlighting the important things around prescription drugs, which Claire, you have talked immensely about uh, huge things around prescription drugs, very, very popular along with the child tax credit. These are the kind of things we need to be focusing on and having conversations um, with people in our community about. Robert, uh, further thoughts from you on 
you know, sort of how we go forward and what probably lies next? We have to see where it lands. It looks like Schumer and Biden may have gotten it back on course where we can get salvage something out of this uh, after the near-death experience. I think we just understand our role. I think the left has become, some of us, too much the spectators who are just commenting on what others should do and not enough the actors in the drama. And so we have a Democratic Party in Congress unfortunately not in Wisconsin right now, that is unified, that's most progressive in terms of its policy positions, it's been in half a century, and it's still overwhelmingly committed and pushing forward. And we have a fiery, progressive, effective, progressive left that's calling this out. Senator Sanders was very effective in the Sunday morning shows, and he was the only voice they let on, these are very conventional shows, that point out who Manchin was doing this for, how he was carrying water for the biggest corporate interest in our society and screwing over his whole, the, the, his, his constituents. So that is, it's important when we keep talking about Manchin as if he's a single player and that he doesn't represent all the people who fund him, the, the, the super lobbyists who probably plotted the whole Manchin and cinema strategy. But as far as our acting, we need to remain mobilized and inside outside strategy requires that there be wind at the sails of these legislators because they're not going to get big money to do this. They have to get popular support and they have to get everything we can do to organize, make it prevalent, be on social media, do everything we can to show public support for this and put pressure on every member of Congress. And so that is what's important. Our role is to do the outside part where we put pressure outside on the system not simply the money money quarterback, what, what Pelosi or Biden or, or, or Bernie Sanders or Chuck Schumer should be doing. Yeah. And again, want to encourage folks, please uh, join Citizen Action, get involved. Uh, as we head into 2022, we are going to be extraordinarily active, not only on this fight, but how this fight plays out in the state. And there'll be uh, all kinds of ways to get involved, not to mention the United States Senate race, which of course, is a critical connect here in Wisconsin. Uh, we talk about the filibuster. If we had another vote, we would not be uh, dependent on, uh, for example, the corporate uh, senator from West Virginia. Uh, so of course, that's important. So I want to encourage folks, if you're listening to this, please get involved, join Citizen Action. Uh, we'll continue to have a link for a place for you to either join our co-ops or donate to Citizen Action. It's very uh, a very, very important uh, that you get involved in that way. Um, and, and we're going to continue to be doing organizing to show and highlight the benefits of what's in Build Back Better and stay in this fight. Um, one of the things, Robert, that you mentioned, and I want to get both your and Claire's thought is it is important. Uh, and it, this discussion that we've been having about the, uh, the uh, surging role of progressives in Congress. Um, I think it is very noteworthy that the progressives in this uh, situation actually showed serious governing skills and throughout this entire process have, I think, proven themselves to, to be both flexible, but also clear and firm in sort of what the goals and who they represent. You even saw this in the comments that were made by progressive leaders the minute uh, this happened and talking about 
that this is about the people that they represent and they can't wait. And keeping, as you said, Robert, the focus on Manchin and who he's really representing. Um, I think this is very important because in the past, progressives have been publicly accused of not being you know, good partners are sophisticated in the ways of politics. And I think this is a case where the corporatists and quote, the center or the, the conservative Democrats are the ones in Manchin who have repeatedly not been good negotiators and have walked away from, uh, quite frankly, our, our democratic experiment. Robert? Yeah, just as far as, you know, the Washington establishment, there was a series of stories in January of 2021 about what a thorn in Biden's side the progressive members of Congress would be. They've been closely allied with him. The thorn has been the corporate Democrats, okay? But they continue on this because they be- this is what they believe about reality. Uh, they don't believe that these are just objective reporters and, and, and commentators. Uh, but here's the thing, right? Progressives have been so pragmatic they gave away their major leverage at the end. They were holding up the, the roads and bridges infrastructure bill in order to make sure that Manchin couldn't just get what he wanted, right? And then screw everyone else. And he went and did it. They ma- gave it up because he committed to Joe Biden and the president assured the Progress- Congressional Progressive Caucus and the House Democrats that there was a deal in place for 90% of this it wasn't clear on family medically, but everything else was supposed to be settled. And Manchin completely betrayed the president, Pramila Jayapal, the head of the Progressive Caucus, met with him. He betrayed her. She has said that, that he basically lied to her. So it's astounding. But remember, the squad, the six most progressive members of Congress, didn't believe him and voted no. All six of them did. And they, of course, they've been vindicated on this because it turned out you couldn't trust him. And now the president has to bring him back. This is on the president to bring him back because the president urged progressives to give away our leverage we had over Manchin, and they did it. That's pragmatism. And that's also a leap of faith, as Pramila Jaipal called it. Yeah, look, uh, I've said this earlier this week, Robert, when I was chatting with you, uh, Claire, you mentioned um, you're much more thoughtful today than we might have been uh, if we were asked to comment on this within 24 hours of Manchin's actions. Um, there's, uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, this is on Joe Biden to, to, to fix. Um, he got elected president for his ability to deliver uh, in a situation like this, for his understanding of the Senate, and for his ability to work with folks like Manchin. So, um, this is a big test. Uh, and when we come back uh, next year for our first show, we'll obviously continue to be t- you know, uh, talking about Build Back Better. We'll see where we're at. But uh, this is no doubt uh, the critical test of uh, President Biden's uh, early presidential uh, career here. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to briefly talk about the other Ah, big test he's facing, and that is on COVID. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We had a great conversation about Build Back Better. Obviously, continue to support it and we'll continue to follow it. The other major issue 
that continues to unfold is uh, the ongoing pandemic with COVID. Um, we have been talking about it every week. Um, we have mentioned that we have a new, uh, we've been talking for over the last month about the new strain that is uh, common is now the dominant strain in the uh, country, not yet here in Wisconsin, but certainly uh, about to be. And uh, just this week, uh, President Biden made uh, some very, uh, some more remarks and is altering a bit his COVID policy uh, going forward. Claire, wanted to get your thoughts on what the president had to say and where we're heading um, as we go into this holiday. Um, quite frankly, a bit ill-prepared for this latest strand that is hitting us in some parts of the country. Yeah, I really can't even get the test. Um, your thoughts, or did, did, did President Biden sort of miss the boat here? Are we behind, or uh, your thoughts on his response this week? So there's basically three tools or three legs, right, of um, preventing COVID, right? So uh, the three legs of that stool are uh, vaccination, and I would now amend that to say vaccination and boosting, um, number one, number two, masking, and number three, testing. And the reason why that's important and why you have to do all three of those, because like, let's say, for example, you're just um, you know, you're just vaccinated and just testing, but you aren't masking, you're still putting yourself at risk for getting COVID, even if you're vaccinated and potentially spreading it and helping new variants to develop. Um, if you're vaccinated and masking, but you're not getting tested and you're going out and meeting people, you may not realize uh, that you've contracted COVID, especially if you're wearing a poor quality mask, right? Um, and, and again, accidentally spread it, right? So you gotta, we gotta be doing all three of those things. And something that Robert in particular has been talking about since the very beginning of this pandemic is the poor state of broad community testing in this country. And um, there are other parts of the world where they, um, especially, you know, wealthy countries, right, um, where they've done a better job in the U.S. at having testing available for people and mandating testing and, um, uh, yes. So, so I, I appreciate that there is a uh, more concerted effort coming out of the White House now um, for people to do regular testing, for them to have um, tests arrive at their house um, and not have to think about how am I going to get it. Um, you know, I recently had an experience this past week with a friend who had a cold and she needed to get a test. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good friend of mine, someone who takes COVID just as seriously as I do. But uh, when it comes to, to masking and not going places, being vaccinated and boosted, but like didn't know how to get a test. And I had to walk her through, like, here's how you go to the pharmacy website. Here's your options for registering for a test, or here's an option for buying and having delivered an at-home test, right? So, so like, people just sometimes don't know how to get a test, the difference between different types of tests, right? So I'm glad the White House is putting an emphasis on that. Um, it's, uh, it's important though, um, that uh, people are aware that, like just because you're testing a lot doesn't mean that you get to um, like ignore other precautions that we need to be taking, right? Because tests are not infallible. 
Um, they're a really, really good tool, but we still got to be doing all three of those things. And it's also important to remember that like this, this isn't enough, right? Um, and I'm sure Robert will talk about this, right? Like it's good that we're doing this one thing, but there's other things that we should also um, be doing and that our government could be doing for us. So I'm glad we're doing this, um, but let's keep pushing for even more um, COVID precautions. Robert, I've been struck, and Claire, I really appreciated the way you broke that down. These three important things, they all got to be together. It reminds me of Tommy Thompson's three-legged stool. Otherwise, we're going to fall off, right? Um, Robert, I wanted further thoughts on the testing. Uh, I'll say it. I think Biden has failed in this area, and it's this is too late that we're in the middle of this, and they talk about it as if they didn't know this was coming or we had to wait until this week. I agree with Claire, it is better than nothing. And I don't want to compare this to the previous administration, but I feel like Claire said there's three things. And I feel like this country's tried to rip through it with one, like we're going to vaccinate, 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 vaccinate. And the testing has been, uh, and Claire alluded to this, not really well thought out. And uh, in this case, we don't have enough tests and we got people flying all over this country and many of them are going to be doing it in traveling without testing because they simply can't get it. Um, your thoughts on this? Is this an area that we, we could have done better, but also if so, uh, next steps and what, where we really need to go and your advice to the president? Our whole society has been able to keep up with this pandemic and has only had discipline temporarily, if that. And so this continues. It includes Democrats. Uh, look, Republicans are willfully divided for political purposes and weighed into anti-vax stuff. So they're a different category. They're that unethical, immoral. What Tucker Carlson's doing on Fox News every night is mass murder, actually, in terms of outcomes. Uh, now, the problem is when people make mistakes or they aren't bold enough, you have to give them some grace because this has been an unpredictable virus. But some of this is very predictable. Uh, the problem uh, is not lack of will. I think President Biden is very interested in controlling the pandemic, right, and getting beyond it. I think they, they early on committed fully to a vaccination-centered strategy. And, the, and, you know, you could have maybe predicted that as months went on and Donald Trump proceeded, you could get a much higher vaccination rate. So they underestimated that the right would continue to use this as a, a political wedge issue, right? Um, so, that, so that was a mistake. Um, they definitely didn't start that we've been behind on the testing, but that's partly because they were pushing so much on the vaccine, right? So they had a one-track mind. Uh, we've talked about this on this show. Uh, Omicron is coming because we've not vaccinated the world. Why have we not vaccinated the world? Because pharmaceutical companies want to hold their patents and put profit over people's lives. Pfizer created the current trade system with the major lobbyists behind it that gave them these property rights. The United States, to its credit, the Biden administration changed its position on having a waiver at the World Trade Organization. But in these times reported that, uh, that we've talked about on Battleground Wisconsin, uh, they've not lobbied hard for it and the EU and Germany have been blocking it on behalf of pharma. So all those folks who love to be democratic socialists, believe me, the European company, countries are corrupt and beholden to big multinational corporations very much as well. This being an example, to their own detriment, they're getting creamed by Omicron. Uh, so 
Now they're, I mean, it's better. It's, it's a day late and a dollar short, but at least it's coming forward. Look, the half, the half a billion tests sound like a lot. Apparently other states have tried this. They've run out right away. It's like two per person. Uh, so it's probably not enough, but it's something. Uh, other countries have had very cheap or free tests, you know, Netherlands, Great Britain, uh, for a very long time now. And we haven't done that. But tests aren't the only answer. Vaccines aren't the only answer. Our problem here also is, is that as we relax, we couldn't keep bars and restaurants open, politics closed, that was, or, or, or stadiums closed or everything else. It was overly, it was too politically toxic for politicians. We haven't responded with alternative strategies. We've just kind of hoped for the best. And we were totally unprepared for Omicron, even though it's a quicker mutation than anyone expected, but it was expected that something like this could happen. We get something that would get around the vaccines. We now have a problem that really triple vaxxed is fully vaccinated, and we seem unwilling to say this. Um, remember when, just remember the biggest mistake, and who knows where this came from, it may came from where the CDC uh, director, Rochelle Walensky, announced the end of it in May and said, take your masks off. Well, people look at you take their masks off, including Democrats. And people need to put their masks back on in all open, in all public enclosed spaces, grocery stores, big box stores, you name it, period. Well, Robert, you, you said you got to have your third one, right, to be fully vaxxed. If you look at the state of Wisconsin, we're Very still well under, well under 2 million people have received a booster. We're talking about a quarter of the population is what is actually fully vaxxed. And even more frightening, and I'd be happy to hear both of your thoughts, I was a bit taken back to hear yesterday that Israel is moving forward with a fourth booster immediately, given the current uh, situation with the new variant. That is very sobering, very sobering. They're saying the third vaccination after six months starts to wear off in two, two to three months. And so... And it, it, it's not 100% either, folks. So you're not like immune, but you're, 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 you're 70% protected from infection and you're very unlikely to get a serious illness. But nonetheless, uh, it, by February, uh, my booster is supposed to be wearing off, for example, because I got one as soon as I was allowed to and directed to by the federal government. Which, Claire, uh, we got to go to a break, but this gets to a conversation we've had before, which is our public health system. I mean, I mean, you start talking about a fourth booster. That's a logistical question about how do you bring the entire American population in four times to a public health system, which, um, you know, we've had to do Herculean efforts just to get the first uh, rounds around and we're finding getting the boosters Uh, to the levels we need is a struggle. But with that, we got to take a break. Claire, I'll come back to you after this break. We're the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Claire, I just laid out this slightly scary thought that um, we're at about 20, maybe 25% with our third uh, boost here in Wisconsin. And Israel's had to do a fourth boost, uh, which means that may likely be headed our way too. Just your thoughts on um, 
next steps as it relates to, to, to this. And, and as you understand, just, you know, what kind of public health system we have, it is a challenge that we face. Yes. <laughs> I wish I had something more insightful to add, but uh, yeah, it's, it's sobering. Every time a new variant come, comes out, I get, uh, you know, a little bit more discouraged and um, it would be, really wonderful if everyone who is vaccinated would get a booster. It would be even better if everyone who is unvaccinated uh, would get a high quality vaccination. Um, and Claire, Claire, you know, just hearing you say that you are always the one on this show who reminds us and we, we have this conversation and this is probably the time as we head into the holidays we need to be have, continuing having these conversations with people in our life who are not vaccinated. Uh, the clarion call about this is critical and we are gonna be, some of us back uh, seeing uh, some of our relatives and family friends and others who may be in that boat. And this may be um, a critical mission over the next uh, week or two is to maybe have some more of these uh, kinds of conversations. Yeah, and I think for a lot of us, you know, if we're if we're seeing whether in person or virtually our family members over the holidays, uh, there's a good chance that those are those are folks who are vaccinated, and so those conversations may not be, you know, hey, you're not vaccinated. I'd really like you to be so that we could hug, so that we could be together in person, so that I don't have to worry about your health so that um, I don't have to worry about our grandparents' health. Maybe that conversation for you looks like, hey, I know you're vaccinated and it's so hard. It sucks so much that we still have to be, you know, wearing masks and things. And I know you don't want to get boosted. I know you just want to think this is behind you, but like, it's just not. And like, maybe that conversation is about encouraging folks to get that third shot and to encouraging folks to uh, be better about their mask wearing, right? So like just because our relatives are vaccinated doesn't mean that, you know, we're off the hook for um, having having conversations that continue to impress upon people the importance of, um, of, of safe and preventative behavior in the pandemic. Totally agree. In fact, Claire, I was just last night, I had a conversation uh, with a uh, gentleman who uh, makes fantastic uh, Mexican food. Uh, he was very upset about the people in his life who were not taking this seriously and were not getting vaccinated. And he was proudly talking about how he was vaccinated. But he at the end admitted he had not gotten his booster yet. And I looked at him and I was like, go do that tomorrow. And he, he said, you know what, I'm going to do this. As we were watching on the screen, there was a story about uh, Grump, uh, the, the new variant. And it was kind of surprising, but it's a good reminder. Even some of the folks who are doing the right thing got vaccinated, may not have gotten their booster, may not fully appreciate it. Those are important conversations to be having over the holidays with folks who you may know got vaccinated, but haven't gotten the booster. It is absolutely critical. Uh, Robert, any final thoughts from you on this? Yeah, stay tuned. I think we've... Uh said as much as we know right now and, and be safe in the holidays. It's going to, unfortunately, all the record holiday travel record for the pandemic is going to create a very difficult January. And unfortunately so, for the Democrats and Biden, they will be blamed for it, regardless of the fact that the Republicans have set this scenario up a great deal with their divide and conquer 
you know, you know irregardless of death uh, stance on politics in this country. Folks, before we um, end the show and end the year, um, did want to mention, uh, we won't get into a deep conversation, but um, give you each an opportunity to comment. But uh, this week, we had leadership change in the Wisconsin Assembly on the Democratic side. We mentioned last week that Gordon Hintz was stepping down and um, we thought that it was possible Greta uh, Neubauer would become uh, the new uh, leader. And that did happen this week. And uh, just wanted to give either of you any, if you had any thoughts about the change in leadership uh, in the assembly and what that potentially could hold for uh, the Democrats going forward in 2022. Claire, Robert? You know, you know, we extend our congratulations to the new leaders of the assembly. So Greta Neubauer out of Racine is the new assembly leader. So uh, wishing her much success and luck. And uh, Representative uh, Kaylin Haywood out of Milwaukee is the assistant leader, wishing him much success and luck. I think the big story here, though, the important story is the speech given by State Representative Jimmy Anderson, uh, who um, uses a wheelchair uh, because of uh, full body paralysis that he received after a car accident a number of years ago, um, who also ran for assistant minority leader and was met with questions from his colleagues about his health and physical ability to do the job. And um, he gave some really poignant remarks um, about how uh, hurtful that was and how that opened his eyes to the level of um, discrimination that people with disabilities face and how that's not, I mean, not, not that he needed to open his eyes to that. I mean, he lives that he's, he's aware of it. Right. Um, but it, it opened it, um, his eyes to how people in his own caucus and his own friends uh, sort of viewed him. And, um, you know, he, his, his comments, I think, remind us that um, we need to be critical of people on our own side. And um, we, cannot uh, let people just because there are political allies off the hook for problematic actions and behaviors. And we talk about that a lot as it relates to, um, you know, racial discrimination, discrimination against people based on sexual orientation. Uh, we probably don't talk about it enough as it relates to discrimination against people with disabilities. So um, I, I think that's the big story of this week as it comes to those elections. And um I hope we can all do some self-examination and do better um, as we engage with and support the people in our lives who um, deal with disabilities. I'll put a link. We'll have a link to that article. I really want to encourage folks to read it. Claire, thank you for pointing it out. It was some very powerful testimony. Robert, your thoughts? Yeah, and I want to leave time for the biggest, big topic we haven't touched, the threat to democracy, but I'll just say that... Um, Greta Neubauer is a very uh, capable rising leader. We enjoy working with her, but she has a big job to do. So best of luck to her. We really need really strong, effective leadership in both uh, both the Democratic caucuses right now, uh, given what we're facing. As to Representative Anderson, I think it's great that he put all of that out there. I would just say that uh, I think probably the assembly folks meant well, but they thought about the assistant minority leader is the one who negotiates with Republicans. They'll insist on in person. They won't wear masks. So they were trying to be protective, but instead they should have been thinking more about 
okay, because it's ableism to think that way, to think, are we willing to unify and hold the Republicans accountable to, to, to make this an accessible state legislator where a very good legislator like Jimmy Anderson can be assistant minority leader rather than being excluded because of the way they're going to behave? Absolutely. I must say, when I read the thoughts, I, you know, the first thing I was reading it with one of our coworkers, um, and I said to her, I was like, Jesus, this sounds like exactly like what a woman would hear where someone would say, oh, you know, talk about their children. Can you really do this? Right. It's just the same stuff. And Claire, I think you rightly uh, brought it up. We may not always think about that. Clearly, we didn't. Our whole caucus, he said he talked to 12 people where he got this response. So um, we all have a lot of uh, learning and growing to do. And shout out, Jimmy, for calling us out to be better, um, better, period. Um, before we go, though, Robert, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the threat to democracy. It's not like we're looking to end the year on horrible bad news, but it is real and it's omnipresent and it will be a critical piece going forward in 2022. Robert, update a story that uh, was in the Washington Times, uh, Washington Post, excuse me, different paper, uh, that really brings up some news that was broken earlier this year, but has gotten lost in the shuffle and you rightly want to bring some sunshine to it. Well, this will be a teaser for 2022 because this will be on Battleground Wisconsin a lot. Following up the New York Times a couple weeks ago, the Washington Post did their big story on Wisconsin being front and center um, after the threat to democracy this week. So you can look it up. They reviewed the whole clown show here, which a clown show, except it's so serious. Rachel Maddow on national TV, very highly rated show, not only spent over 25 minutes on it reviewing what the Post said, she brought us back to another story broken by the Journal Sentinel that's been long forgotten. That is in Wisconsin, the Republicans sent fake electors that, that secretly met in the, in the Capitol in November, and they sent forged, fraudulent, uh, uh, basically certification documents all to the right sources. So they were set up that if Trump had changed attorney generals and the conspiracy we now know about it proceeded, that Wisconsin would have been in a position to claim the electoral votes for Trump, even though Biden won. And so we need to be aware that this is a state that is front and center, and this is a state, and we have the Gable investigation, we have threats of prosecution for election commission members, it goes on and on. And so we need to be ready to do whatever it takes. And by the way, if normal means do not work, we need to start thinking about nonviolent civil disobedience, because seriously, folks, we can't allow Wisconsin to be the leading edge of that they take over of this country. And we're one of the three or four states that decides that California, New York folks, they don't have any say it's ha this is happening in Wisconsin and a handful of other states. Well, Robert, uh, in one of his outgoing comments or um, Gordon Hintz uh, in an article this week, named that as the biggest threat facing the state and what he's most worried about. And um so it, there's no doubt we will continue to watch this and um, we will stand stand guard because, as Robert said, we will not let democracy uh, just go the wayside. But it is definitely imperiled. Uh, folks, we got to wrap up this year. We got to wrap up this podcast. We want to thank Brian Woldridge, our producer, who year after year after year after year after year uh, helps make this podcast happen doesn't happen every week without his behind the scenes work and i can assure you 
that we do not always give him a lot of quality material. It sometimes requires significant editing and we appreciate his work and just wanted to state that and hope he has a good vacation after editing this podcast. But folks, we'll see y'all in 2022 at the Battleground Wisconsin. Have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you and goodbye.